Hello, everyone. Welcome back to I See What You're Saying, the Disciplined Listening Podcast. I'm Michael Reddington, and today it is my pleasure to introduce our next guest, Stacy Wood. Stacy is the founder of the aptly named Through the Woods Consulting. She is an executive coach, a speaker, and an author who has just published her second book, Own Your Journey, Daily Lessons in Self-Leadership. And we are absolutely going to dive into the topic of the book as well. We're also going to dive into key lessons and experience she learns as her primary focus in executive coaching is working with all women executive cohorts. And we're talk about some of the opportunities that that creates. And we're also going to talk about how she uses horses in her executive coaching in order to help people unlock their self-awareness and maximize their leadership strategy. So I'm really interested to have this conversation with Stacy and talk about things that we don't always get a chance to talk about here. So it's going to be a really exciting conversation. There's a lot to share. I'm excited to dive into it. But before we do, I want to make sure we thank our sponsors first. As always, we start with Humantel. If anybody out there is interested in learning how to accurately identify when somebody's emotions are changing by evaluating their counterparts, body language, facial expressions, please head over to humantel.com and enter the code INQUASIVE25 for 25% off their best-in-class online self-paced training. I've done it all myself. I vouch for it personally, and I promise you once you take this training, you won't be able to unsee some of these emotional shifts. It's very powerful. I highly recommend it. I also recommend it if you're interested in learning more about emotional intelligence, to head over to Emotional Intelligence Magazine. That's ei-magazine.com for their ever-growing library of emotional intelligence resources, books, blogs, podcasts, interviews, articles, online training, in-person training. There's so much going on there. Please go check out Emotional Intelligence Magazine at ei-magazine.com. And of course, for all of the professional interviewers out there, please head over to certifiedinterviewer.com for the International Association of interviewers. Explore the website and see if membership is right for you and your organization. You can check out all of their updated content, their legal updates, their investigative resources, the peer-to-peer networking opportunities that they have, of course, the online and in-person training opportunities they create. And while you're there, check out the certified forensic interviewer designation and see if it's best for you at this stage or even the next stage of your investigative career. So thank you very much to our sponsors for making this show possible. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen or watch again today. We really appreciate it. And without further ado, it is my pleasure to introduce to you, Stacy Wood. Good morning, Stacy. It is so great to finally meet you. Thank you so very much for taking the time to join us today. Michael, I'm so excited to be here. I know we've been talking about this for a while, so I'm glad to be here and to dig into all the good questions I know you're going to ask. Well, I hope so. I'm really more excited about the good answers that I know you're going to share. <laughs> but I'm really excited for this conversation because there's there are so many unique topics packed into one opportunity to talk about. But before we dive into all of those, if yes. you could help give our listeners just a little bit of context mm-hmm. and walk us through the highlights. I'm sure it's a long story, but walk us through the highlights of your journey that led you to where you are today. Perfect. No problem. It is um, like so many people's stories not at all a straight path and not the path I thought I was going to be on. But the long and the short of it is I went to school knowing that I was going to be an equine veterinarian. And by the end of my junior year, I was at home in my parents' kitchen crying saying, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life, but I don't want my hobby to be my career. So that set me on a different trajectory and ended up in medical sales right out of school um, during my tenure there, I was 
fortunate enough to be promoted to a sales training manager. And that kind of lit my fire for wanting to help teach people and grow people. To be clear, I'm not at all made to be a school teacher for children. I have school-aged children. I know that is not my calling, but love working with adults. And then over the years, began to realize I really needed a business of my own. I am just wired to have my own business, um, got a lot of drive, a lot of ideas. And eventually, after talking to lots of people and pulling all my skill sets together, it turned out that what I wanted to do was be an executive coach. So went and got certified, did the whole side hustle for the business for several years while having two very small children and burning it out on all ends. But it all paid off. And so I've been running the business for quite some time now and just couldn't be happier. So I I ended up, the business is called Through the Woods Consulting. And I really have four key areas within the business. I'm an author, a speaker, I'm an executive coach, and I do facilitation as well. Awesome. And we're going to touch on all of that and more. Mm-hmm. And for me, it seems perfectly logical. Everybody that wants to go into equine veterinarian work right. ends up an executive coach. It's I mean, exactly the same. But you know what? I like most things in life. I didn't realize at the time that all of those years, and I think we'll dig into that down the road, but all of those years of what seemed like totally separate work prepared me so much for what I'm doing now. And we are going to dive into that. It's it's one of the, there's so many things you do that I'm curious about, but the the horse piece is something that I really do want to dive into because I think it's something that will be unique for for people to mm-hmm. help put those pieces together. I am curious. You talked a little bit about transitioning into that sales leadership role and how that began to set you on your path for the executive coach work that you do now. What were some of the earliest lessons you learned mm-hmm. about the gift of teaching others when you assumed that role? One of the first things I learned was I did not realize how energizing and exciting it is when people have that aha moment. When you help them to connect the dots, um, it's so rewarding selfishly uh, to see that happen. But really at the end of the day, being in sales for so long. And if you have not had a sales career, I know that there's a stigma around what sales is. But to be a really great salesperson, all you're doing is asking questions and helping people to find a solution to their problems, right? Um, So it goes so well with your concept of disciplined listening because you are just really digging deep, getting to know people, getting to know the problems that they haven't even named yet to help them find a solution. And coaching is no different. I'm asking people to dig deep. I always tell my clients, okay, we're good. My goal is for you to be comfortably uncomfortable. I want you to answer the hard questions. I'm going to ask you the hard questions. And we each have the answers inside of ourselves. Sometimes we just need someone to help pull back the curtain so that we can discover those answers. I love that. In a lot of ways, across all those examples you just listed, it's more about being a guide mm-hmm. or to steal a word that you used earlier, facilitator. Yeah. How do I facilitate a conversation and guide somebody through, whether it's a customer, an exploratory process of their, pro- I guess I'm going to use process twice in the same sentence, That's whatever, okay. not a grammar major, but through their <laughs> business process or through whatever problem they're trying to solve or at the individual level guide them through a process of exploring their own opportunities for where they can still grow, learn, develop, and find strength from within. Absolutely. You nailed it. 
Which I think leads us to a point that I believe is pretty central to what you do, and that is self-leadership. Am I correct with that? You are correct. So so educate me on, um, well, when I say educate, obviously I agree with you, but from the work that you do, (laughs) please educate me on the importance of self-leadership and how you help guide people to taking more control of that process. Yeah. So um, I noticed in the marketplace that, you know, leadership is a hot topic. Lots of leadership gurus, lots of leadership classes, but it felt to me like everything was way down the road, assuming that you're already a great leader and then how you're going to tweak things. And we completely seem to be glossing over the fact that if you can't lead yourself and be responsible and beholden to yourself and the goals that you set for yourself, how could you possibly expect someone else to listen and follow along? And as leaders, our goal is to inspire and bring out the best in other people, right? Um, So we have to start at our home base and be able to do that with ourselves first. So really, I say I consult on the nature of self-leadership. And that's a little bit of a play on words because I'm completely inspired by nature and science. And so that helps to drive all of the work that I do. I I still study science deeply. Um, But it came down to kind of a a four-step, what I call kind of the cornerstone model of self-leadership, right? So it begins with being aware of who you are and where you are so that you can fuel a vision for where you want to go. From there, we really have to move into an aligned mindset that is positive and challenging, but also self-supportive so that we can be in that state where we can achieve the hard things. The third is really cultivating your presence. So everything from taking that mindset and embodying that and how you show up, how you engage with others, how you stay disciplined for yourself. And it doesn't mean that you have to live a super militant life, right? We all make mistakes. None of us are perfect, but it's striving for that vision that you've created in the beginning. And then finally, following that forward with action. Because if we don't execute with action, it all just stays a dream in the cloud in our head and we're not actually making progress. So when we're constantly on that cycle of going through these four steps, we slowly but surely become better at it over time. Like everything that you practice, it gets easier. And then those habits can become second nature. And before long, you're not constantly thinking about them. But that sets the groundwork so that you can be a positive leader to others, I think. I love it. The whole time I was listening, I was thinking about things I could add. I'm like, why bother? That's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) The four cornerstones make total sense. Taking it from conceptualization to action. The action provides the validation. It creates uh, confidence. It allows us to learn and tweak. I love it. So I imagine the cornerstone method likely plays a role in some of the peer group leadership work that you do as well. So I have a couple of questions I would love to ask there, but before I just step on your toes and not explain it correctly, could you please enlighten us to the peer leadership work that you do? And I mean, I'm aware of the group itself, but please, if you could let us know the group, the structure, I mean, walk us through that process and then we'll dive in. So I specialize um, heavily in women's leadership development. So my peer groups are just for women leaders, women who are either 
already in senior leadership positions or on that cusp, right? They're middle management and working their way up. So um, my group is called the Wildwood Collective, and WILD stands for Women's Intentional Leadership Development, of course, tacking on the wood with the company name. And every year and a half, I open up um, opportunities for women to join the collective. And we come together in a small group, and it is a combination of executive coaching with me. It's a combination of peer advisory and mastermind. We are using two sets of my framework. So we're using the stepping stones of success for women to help them with those things they can trip or fall over or use to propel themselves forward on their leadership journey and definitely heavily bringing in the cornerstone model. And so fusing all these together, we also get together with a retreat and all the members um, have a ticket to attend my women's leadership conference that I host every spring in Virginia. So getting that multifaceted virtual group and alone and in-person opportunities and using these models to propel the whole system forward, we're kind of trying to hit on all cylinders because as women in leadership and men too, but especially women, it can feel really lonely. You're oftentimes trying to juggle being a leader at work, but still battling some imposter syndrome or am I good enough or am I doing it right? A lot of women that I work with are parents. And so they're also the primary caretaker of their children in addition to trying to run their business. So we have all these competing pressures and it just gives us space for these women to come together and really explore what's working, what's not, what do I really want from my life? And how am I going to make that plan and then execute on it? Fantastic. Trying to organize the thoughts. No, I won't share. No, I'll, I'll get to the, I'll get to the thought I will share about how we were connected coming up. But from my, oh, yes. from my perspective, I do, and I'm sure other people in similar roles to you and I do as well, but a lot of work with executive peer-to-peer groups. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty common for me to find myself in a room full of, you know, 20, 30, whatever CEOs or senior leaders talking about any number of topics. And, you know, I come in and work with them on on my areas of, of specialty. And I will say that often those are male dominated rooms. Now I will say that if not a hundred percent of the time, 99.9% of the time, the women who are in the room, very smart, very confident, very successful, very able, carry a ton of respect in the room, but there's just typically not as many of them in those rooms. Right. So I, from the outside looking in and from a male perspective, of course, let me get that on the table, certainly see the value of all women peer leadership groups to talk through the issues that they're facing inside and outside of work and provide that insight and that feedback and the support because as human beings, we probably don't always understand people as much as we say that we do to try to make them feel better. But in a all women peer group, we're likely getting a lot closer than (laughs) we would be in some mixed gender scenarios. So from your standpoint, what have been some of the big, I'm not asking for anything confidential or specific stories. What are some of the biggest breakthroughs Mm. that you've seen female leaders achieve because of their participation in these groups? Great question. And before I am going to answer that, but first I just want to acknowledge, I am a huge advocate of 
women being in those integrated rooms and being with the men, because we do typically think so differently, I learn so much every time I'm hanging out with male peers or counterparts or mentors. So I'm not saying we replace that, but I also love having that female-minded group. Because like you said, it's just a different approach and you're getting different things from both places. So if you're listening, don't give up hanging out in mixed groups, (laughs) but do both. Give yourself the option for both. Um, To answer your question, what are some of the big breakthroughs that I've seen women have? So a couple of things. I The most common thing that I see with women that I think a lot of the outside world will be shocked to hear is that I can be dealing with a woman who is a chief financial officer or chief marketing officer or um, chief people officer, and she is still battling, am I good enough? Am I doing this right? Am I letting everybody down? In her mind all day, every day. She's out there slaying it, has clearly risen the ranks and has a really important position and has gotten it because she deserved it. But so many women are still not sure that they figured it out. And so what I love seeing is the women who go through the process and begin to kind of step into their confidence and realize that we're going to have those voices, but we can control them and we can turn the dial down and we can balance them out with reminding ourselves what our skill sets and what our achievements are. And when these women start to step into their confidence, they they achieve so much more. They're suddenly not afraid to negotiate for the salaries they deserve, negotiate for maybe a better benefits package or PTO. They're not afraid to share their voices in board meetings and step up. And they're always rewarded for when they step into the conversation with a little more confidence. The the second thing that I often see is that women are so busy trying to achieve what they think everybody else wants them to do and being there for everybody else. A lot of times as women, we pack away our own needs and desires. And so we end up in this really burned out place where we're hanging on like by our fingernails on the edge of the cliff. And I'm able to work with women to kind of give them a toe ledge so they can catch their breath for a second and stop climbing so hard and start looking around and saying, is this the mountain I want to actually be climbing or do I want to be on this mountain over here to my left? And When you can pause as a human, and this applies to both men and women, so this is not uniquely a female problem, but when you pause and actually define for yourself what it is you want to be in pursuit of, you can still work just as hard and be fulfilled as opposed to burned out, right? I see you shaking your head. I know you're on board and tracking with this. So those are the successes that I see. You know, I've seen a woman who is a small business owner and she came and joined when her business was about to file for bankruptcy. And she had gotten so down in the weeds just with that heavy burden and the responsibility for her staff and her her clients. It was really hard for her to see a way out. And by the time we finished our work together, she was finding the answers. And now her business within the franchise that she owns has performed in the top 5% for the last two years across the country. So the answers are there. We just sometimes need to catch our breath so we can find them. 
all great examples. And I love what you said at the end. Sometimes we just need to catch our breath. Mm-hmm. And when you gave the example about the franchisee, and this is not to take away from the work that you did to help her get her there, mm-hmm. but I love what you said that she's finding the answers. Yes. So it's not come to us. We have it all. Don't worry. Yeah. Here's my magic wand. Everything will be <laughs> fine after. <laughs> But it's it's going through that discovery process, that facilitation process, taking the deep breath, taking a step back, looking at things from a different angle, different perspective to help people start finding the answers and finding that confidence themselves. You know what it's like, Michael? It's like when you're teaching your kid to ride a bike and they don't want you to let go, you're holding the seat and that you've taken the training wheels off and they don't want you to let go. But it's my job to get them to a place where they're wobbly, but there to catch them if they start to really crash, but to be comfortable with that uncomfortable wobble. And then the wobbles start to get smaller and smaller. And next thing you know, they're blazing a trail and they don't need me anymore. And that's, that's great. Yeah. I love to hear somebody who's happy to, in a sense, put themselves out of work. (laughs) Yes. I, I think that's a huge compliment because I've met too many people that go the other way. Well, Mm -hmm. I need to keep the client. I need to keep this person. There has to be something else I can offer them as opposed to, I think the bike analogy is perfect. I've done my job. Go kill it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. And I do like how you touched on, obviously I'm a little bit biased here, but a lot of the things you said aren't necessarily men experience them too. Just in fairness, men and women often experience them differently for different reasons, in different scenarios, with different expectations or perceptions. And a concept that gets stuck in my head a lot comes from Robert Cialdini, but it's that concept that we often mistake what is focal for what is causal. So if I'm in a room and I'm thinking, well, people aren't going to believe what I say because I'm young or I'm old or I'm bald or I'm a man or I'm a woman or I'm not from this industry or I'm not from this family or right. I'm not da, 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 da. now I'm focusing on what I be- what I'm focusing on is also what I come to truly believe is the cause yes when a it might not be the cause and B this issue might not be here anyway like I right. could be completely manifesting this out of my own fears and expectations so helping people separate what is focal from what is causal can be a challenge in and of itself but I imagine, especially with women, with some of the generations of stereotypes and expectations and fears. And I don't say fear in a negative way, like just fear of not being respected or having to work harder in some of these things that it can be, they can be more susceptible to falling into that same trap of mistaking what is focal for what is causal and then hitting the spiral because of that. hundred percent. They, might be qualified and have everything they need. But you and I are talking about the same thing. I I typically verbalize it as living in a space of lack versus a space of abundance. Mm-hmm. So I lack the skills. I lack the notoriety. I lack the support. It's, it's a victim type mentality, but it's in that negative energy realm. And when your energy gets stuck there, like attracts like, you're going to be attracting only negative things. When you start to, and this is one of the things with the mindset, I really work with my clients to move into that abundant mindset, abundant possibility, abundant confidence, abundant belief in yourself, abundant opportunities within the people around you. That If you help people, it's karma. It's all going to come back, all of that. And so once we start to make that the default, 
doesn't mean we're never going to be tempted by the thoughts of lack or not enough, but we know how to handle it and we're keeping our energy resonating at a higher level. Again, I love it. And I feel like the unfortunate reality of some of those negative thoughts is they're comforting. Yes. It's like a, a warm, heavy blanket. Yeah. It's, and we can call it a victim mentality, which I do believe is true. It, it's not my fault. They don't respect me because right. I don't have, I didn't have the opportunity. Like, so I, I definitely agree with that victim, but it also, it's comfort. It's reassurance. It's I'm not the problem. I'm okay. Everything else is the problem. The deck is stacked against me. There's nothing I can do about it. Now, I'm not saying there isn't truth to that. The deck could right. very well be stacked against you. And there could absolutely be opportunities that haven't been afforded to you. Like those things can be factually true. But to your point about the problem solving mentality, you know, one of the things we like to say is, are you focusing on the problem or are you focusing on the solution? Like, okay, yeah. we've now identified the problem, but how are we transitioning to, I like what you refer to is that mentality of abundance. And that right there is the perfect example, Michael, of self-leadership, right? When we say, hey, I may be sitting in a crap pile of shitty opportunities. And sorry if I'm not allowed to say those words on your- No, this is a curse-friendly show. You're fine. Yeah, good. Um, <laughs> so I might be dealt a shitty situation, but I'm either going to wallow in it or I'm going to be like, all right, well, it is what it is. How am I going to move forward from that? So again, back to this whole male-female thing. I am not a man hater. Um, I am love my husband. I'm pretty darn proud of his impressive career. I've made tons of male friends in business, great mentors. Some of my best mentors are men, but I like to create a space for women because we have our own unique way of processing and managing these thoughts that's different than men. But you know, I too faced challenging situations early in my career. The first opportunity to be promoted to manager. And it was passed back down to me that my boss's boss said, well, she's about the age to start having children. So we can't promote her because this position involves travel. So, you know what? I could have taken that and gone on the downhill spiral. But that was a challenge to me to then figure out, okay, maybe this company or maybe this role isn't a fit for me. Maybe this culture is not aligned with me. What is it that I want to do? I don't need to make it my personal vendetta to get back at this single-minded person who's one human being. I need to figure out what I want to do and how I'm going to do it. And so that lit a fire in me to make a plan and move forward. And people have way harder, worse examples of that in their life than I have had, right? They have had real trauma, real challenges. But I have had the most humbling privilege of listening to so many women's stories that I cannot begin to tell you how impressive and the insurmountable odds that they have overcome when they apply that mindset of, I'm just going to move forward and find a way to create the life I want. So it's doable. Certainly is. And to use a different word, but echo the message, it's taken that outcome orientation. And I don't necessarily have to change everybody's mind. I don't necessarily right. have to get everybody in agreement. I don't, what I have to do is work towards the outcome that is important to myself, my family, my organization, my value system, whatever it is. So how do I continue to find, and it's not easy. And sometimes it can be defeating and 
almost debilitating depending on the seriousness of the example, as you mentioned, but how do we maintain that outcome? The challenge becomes, how do we maintain that outcome focused mentality and strive towards the outcome as opposed to trying to individually address every obstacle along the way? Exactly. So I feel like this is a topic. I honestly feel like this is a conversation we probably would need several hours to dive right. into. We to the can fact- solve all yeah. the world's problems together <laughs> right here. Let's get to it. <laughs> but there's a couple other things that I absolutely want to talk about. And one of the things that you mentioned when we first connected and started talking was your equine background and was the power of horses. Mm-hmm. And I've heard of that previously through therapy with different types of groups. I have friends who were veterans and they've talked right. about some therapy there. Um, so it's not anything that I have direct experience with. I went on what you could barely refer to as a horseback ride in Arizona with a client group a year ago. And I loved it. But yeah. let's be honest, like I'm walk, I'm sitting on the back of a very well-trained horse yeah. walking at about three miles an hour in a line Nose of other tail. horses uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> on a groomed trail. So I can say I went horseback riding and try to punch my cowboy card, but it was about <laughs> as touristy and groomed as it, as it gets. So I would love for you to dive into yeah. how you came across it, how you use it, the power. I mean, please, I feel like there's so much you can educate us there. Okay. So I've been involved with horses most of my life. I started riding at a very early age and it was a hundred percent my thing. Like, you know how, when you just find that activity, I think it's jujitsu with you. Like that is your jam and it speaks to your soul. So I was fortunate enough to start doing that early on and I was all in seven days a week forever. I mentioned that I thought I was going to go to school to be an equine vet So I actually studied animal and equine science in college. That is what my degree is in. I have a BS degree, I sometimes say. It's a Bachelor (laughs) of Science, but it is a BS degree in horses. Um, And along the way, you're either going to be good working with horses or you're going to fail miserably if you don't listen to them. So you're working with 1,200-pound animals who are herd-bound animals and animals of prey by nature. So that tells us two things. One, they are constantly on the lookout for what's trying to eat me, right? I need to stay, of course, they're domesticated, but they still have that drive. What is going to eat me? I need to stay alive. And to stay alive, they live in a herd where they generally have a matriarch, so a female leader, who tells them where we're going to go, where we're going to drink water, when we're going to move to drink water, where we're going to graze, and how we're going to stay alive when we're going to run away from threats. So over time, when you're communicating with horses in domestic animals, we definitely use our voices and we can train them on voice commands. However, the most impactful way to connect with your horse is through your energy and your mindset and your body language. They communicate through body language and through energy. And that's why you can see a group of horses grazing out in a field together And one twitches one ear one way, they all take note of that. And then they all get up and start running across the pasture together. And you're like, oh, that's so cute. They're all running. But it's actually because they've sent a message like too many flies or there's a loud tractor or there's screaming children. We need to relocate somewhere else. And so for years, I've been putting this together and studying this. And it became very apparent to me that this 100% 
aligns with the concept of leadership and primarily with what I believe, as we talked about ad nauseum earlier, that self-leadership is the basis for good leadership. And so when you work with horses, the most amazing thing is that you get instant feedback. When we work with other humans, you get kind of confusing and complicated feedback over time. Like we're not always going to be truthful. We may have mixed messages. As an interviewer, you know, people might be saying one thing, but their body language is telling you something totally different. And then in your head, you're focused on what's really going on behind the scenes. Well, horses will tell you behind the scenes immediately. I either trust you or you're dead to me. And so I take clients to work with horses. We get in what's called the round pen, which is just a small arena. It doesn't involve riding. And you stand in the center of the circle and you send your horse away from you. It's called join up. And when you send your horse away, if you are channeling an aligned thought and energy and body language, like if you can align all of those, your horse is drawn to you and he will stop going away from you. And he will literally come over and stand at your shoulder and wait for you to tell them what we're going to do. He will then follow you wherever you go because they have that drive to need a leader. But if you put someone in the center who has a scattered thought over here about, I'm really worried about, you know, the finances in my family and they're really tense in their body because they're actually afraid of the horse, but they also are trying to posture because they're trying to impress their friends that are there watching and you're getting all these mixed messages and the horse is going to say, nope, you're not aligned and they're not going to come over to you. So uh, we like to say sort of in the industry that the horse is the mirror to your soul. Whatever's happening in here, your horse is going to reflect back to you instantly. So when you start to get it right, they reward you instantly. And that's how we can be sort of really fast forwarding the process of getting to know ourselves and having that deep awareness, which as you remember, is sort of the first cornerstone of the self-leadership model. You got to start there. So I like to overlay it with um, DISC assessments because I'm a certified DISC facilitator. There's lots of them. They're all very similar. It's just the one that I prefer because it's simple and it's easy for people to remember. But we do the DISC assessments. So we're having a common communication language and awareness. Then we work with the horses and we put that knowledge into action so we can start to really align what we say we need to do with following through and learning how to align our mindset, our energy, and our body language to get results. I'm fascinated. I'm fully fascinated. So amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And, and when I think back again to my very little experience with horses, I can't describe how little it is, but I remember them telling even when we were getting on the horses, like to, because they are so sensitive that we, they can literally feel a fly on their back. Yes. And now here you have full frame men sitting on their back, right? Jumping on. And even as we're giving them the commands to go one way or the other, you know, be gentle with the ropes, be gentle with your feet because they are so sensitive. And we, we were told that they can sense our energy and, yep. and, and I, I believe it. Like I'm not, I'm not doubting that right. at all. And I, you clearly know much better than me, but when you think about being in a room of people 
Mm. Whether we're right or wrong, we feel like we can judge other people's energy as well. Absolutely. I feel like the mistake we often make as humans and put me in this list too, is we get the energy right-ish, but we'll miss on the intention or the trigger or the 100%. cause based on our perception or, or our expectations. But I would imagine through a lot of this work, leaders who do a better job keeping their composure, aligning their energy, staying calm, not only do a much better job getting a horse on their shoulder, mm -hmm. but also keeping their teams, their audiences, their counterparts focused in tune in line to the message that they're communicating and the outcomes they need to create. And that's the whole point, right? We're using the horse to teach us what is the best package to carry ourselves in. And so we learn it there and we take it back and we apply it to our teams. And I want to make sure that people understand it's not just about being calm and still. Because if you're calm and still on the outside, but your insides are going nuts because you can't get a, a handle on your thoughts or your mindset is in a negative place, horses are still going to feel that energy vibration and they're not going to trust you. And you know what? We don't think people can feel it, but we can. We have just for so many years been ignoring those natural intuition qualities that we all still have inside of us and taught to, oh, push it down, ignore it. Something's weird about that person. It's usually because what's happening on the outside doesn't match what's on the inside. Mm -hmm. And we need to all start to get in touch with that. And if you want to be a good leader, you may have a difficult decision. You have to tell your team. But if you can get your mindset right about that message and then come out in a composed way or whatever is authentic to you, it can still be a high energy way, but it has to align. And that's where you're going to make your teams feel comfortable. Your teams are going to actually trust you and listen to you. And that's how you move the group forward. I love it. I recently had another conversation with one of the best interrogators I ever worked around. Mm. She's female as well. And one of the things that she mentioned was the mistake that we often make when we feel like that doesn't look good. That doesn't feel right. I'm not sure about that, but I'm going to keep going. <laughs> like, right. And, and so when you're talking about recognizing that intuition, maybe it's because what we're seeing on the outside doesn't match what's happening on the inside. Maybe it's because what we're seeing doesn't match the environment. That's not how somebody should normally be yes. acting in this type of situation. But recognizing that, like that's a red flag. Pause, consider, what are your options? Like if we're talking physical safety, where should I be? Where should I go? Right. If we're talking emotional safety, how should I approach? Is this the right time? And even mm -hmm. honestly still, and I'm sure this is true with horses, distance makes a big difference. So oh, 100%. how fast I approach somebody, the angle I approach them at, the distance I keep. How you're carrying your body. Yes, all of those things. And as you know from your work, the type of eye contact. I mean, eye contact is good, but this type <laughs> of eye contact, not so cool. Like Nobody feels good with that. So all the little things. And the other thing that I love about it is authenticity within yourself. So you and I seem to have very similar energies, but not everybody has that same energy. And if I'm trying to show up as somebody who's more subdued and quiet, that's not authentic to who I am. So I'm going to feel conflicted inside and the horses are going to know that. If you're not a person who's explosive in your personality, 
and you try to pretend that you are, that feels inauthentic. And both people and horses are going to try to avoid that because it feels icky. So that's where I love that DISC comes in so we can see who we naturally are as a communicator and then be authentic to that, learning to to steep ourselves in that authentically to communicate well, but then also learn how to be flexible to make others feel comfortable who might be different than us. I'll try hard to try to disagree with you somewhere. I'm probably going to fail. And I love what you said about the flexibility within the disc. Mm-hmm. When I see people talk about their assessment results, especially senior leaders, I feel like it can go one of two ways. And I typically see it go one far more than the other, unfortunately, which doesn't involve flexibility. Yeah. Right. I'm supposed to be this hard driving person. So everyone else needs to understand that about me. This is how I am. Right. Well, congratulations on validating yourself, but it's not how everybody else needs you to be with them. So it's more about understanding this is my default, kind of how I'm wired to be. But if I need other people to listen, to commit, to understand, to be vulnerable in front of me, to ask me questions, then how do I need to transition away from this default approach I have in order to create the outcomes I need, whether it be develop the team relationships, not get trampled by a horse. <laughs> it right. might be equally dangerous depending <laughs> on the day in the context, but that flexibility and the understanding of those around us is paramount. Yeah. You know, so DISC is the number one workshop that I facilitate because it's recognized as so important and people know. And about this much of the time, you know, just to, if you're listening, you're not watching me, just a very small percentage of the time is spent on understanding your own DISC style. And the rest of the workshop is about learning and practicing being flexible in your communication because that's why DISC matters. It's not just to understand who you are. Okay, that's the the baseline, but then how do we use that information going forward? I always like to use the analogy that um, your message, whatever you need to share with the world, that's who you are, that's your style, great. But imagine that it's a gift that you're giving to someone else. Your communication that you're giving to someone else is a gift. And you're wrapping the package to give to them. There are four different primary styles. You want to wrap your package so that it looks attractive to the person that you're giving it to, not to yourself. You're not the one keeping the gift. So if I know someone likes big, fancy bows and lots of tissue paper and all that, that's how you wrap it. If you know someone likes a simple craft box with a white ribbon, then you wrap it for them. It doesn't matter what your preference is. You want to delight the person that you're sharing with. That's a fantastic analogy. I love it. I don't know if you can see I'm taking some notes. That's one that I wrote down. I'm taking notes on you too, Michael. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Please. No, I love it. I think that's a great analogy. And I also have to laugh a little bit because I know you know Brooke. Yes, love her. is an amazing, for those that don't know, Brooke is my wife. Brooke is an amazing gift wrapper. It's like a whole experience for Doesn't surprise she me. loves it. And if I had it my way, I, the wrapping paper would be the bag that it came in from the retail store. Have you met my husband? <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you how many Christmas presents. God love him. He will go and pick out great gifts. And then they end up under the tree, like in the bag from the store, which is totally fine because that's not his jam. But um, I would like to just pause and acknowledge that Brooke is such an incredible human being. And I know you are grateful to have her, but I just here to remind you 
to be so grateful for her every day because she is such a unique, wonderful person. Uh, I am tremendously grateful for her. I have <laughs> outkicked my coverage in every possible <laughs> marrying her. But she's, I mean, the example you gave earlier about somebody who has paid their dues and, and ra- risen in the ranks and oh. you know, adds so much value to every room that she's in to what an amazing mother she is to everything she puts up with me, <laughs> so like, which is no <laughs> small amount, if I'm being honest. <laughs> Um, no, she is a absolutely tremendous human being, and I am extremely proud yeah. of everything that. Oh, I am sure you are. Yes. And that the eye contact thing you made earlier, I'm, I'm glad you brought her up. I would have eventually, especially in this conversation. Um, but for those that don't know or maybe not care, I grew up in New England, and my wife is from Alabama. <laughs> so when you mentioned eye Very contact, different. <laughs> yeah, just a little, just a little. So when you mentioned eye contact earlier. I have very clear memories of some of the first family gatherings I went to with her <laughs> family. And there was one particular cousin. I was like, I'm really trying to be nice to him. And he clearly isn't liking me. And so I'm talking to her and her mom about it. And she turns around. She's like, well, stop staring at him. Yeah. And you're like, what? Well, where I come from, you maintain eye contact when you're having a conversation. <laughs> so yeah, culturally, culturally appropriate eye contact yes. is a for sure. Yes. I love that example. That's hilarious. But th- thank you for saying all of that, um, because I am I am extremely proud of her. Oh, I know. I have no doubt. <laughs> it's a big shadow for me to walk in, for sure. Yeah. Um, oh, we have some, uh, actually, no, before we transition to the book, because you have a book coming out that we absolutely need to talk about as well, but we still have time. So before we get to that, is there one example or a couple examples that might stand out for you from your work, particularly with horses, where mm-hmm. somebody took the assessment? saw themselves one way, but then after interacting with the horse, Mm. you saw that aha moment that you talked about and how that became a catalyst for their evolution. Yes. Let me. And for the listeners, I completely just ambushed her with that. I know, but so so I'm trying to deserve the time to find an example. I know which one I want to talk about. So this wonderful woman has, um, been with me in capacity in several capacities over the years, whether it's group coaching or private coaching. And she is actually a horse person. She knows horses, has worked with horses her whole life. And those are usually the people who struggle the most with the equine coaching because they come in knowing how to deal with horses. But then when you shine the spotlight in, it's like so much pressure. It's like, I I don't even know how to describe it, but she came for a private session with the horses And she was going through a ton of change in her life, career change. Um, She was having a lot of stress from outside family pressure that was less than supportive. So just a lot of flux. And she and I were working for her to lean into that discomfort and that space of uncertainty that sometimes lasts longer than we want it to. And being able to be still in that space and still visualize where she was wanting to go so that her tiny habits and her tiny steps all added up to still point her in the right direction instead of doing what we like to do, which is get totally frantic and freaked out because things are still and we don't feel like we're progressing. So that's kind of her backstory. And she was in the arena working with the horse and she was getting really frustrated because she's like, I know how to do this. I've been handling horses my whole life. I've done join up before and I'm really sucking at this right now. I, she was, she was getting frustrated. 
And it was such a beautiful example of, I said, you know, let me, I'm not going to say her real name. So her fake name is, let's call her Lisa. Um, There's lots of Lisas in the world that won't give anything away. So I said, Lisa, this is, this is it. This is why you're here. Because you've got the storm of butterflies inside of you and you need to be able to be still and let the butterflies escape and then just move forward. And so she was able to really dig deep and acknowledge within herself that her mind was going one way, her frantic energy was a whole nother way, and that it was impacting how she carried her body, um, where she was tense and she was a little too forward. And she was able to work through all of that in one session. And that helped her tremendously as she then left the arena, took the DISC assessment, took all of that back to applying for jobs and realizing that when she was interviewing for jobs, that if she didn't stay true to who she was, right, and stay in her energy and her vision of what she wanted to accomplish and what she brings to the table, she would go in this tailspin and the interview process wouldn't go well. We've all had that interview where we think we want the job so bad that we become a victim to the interviewer and they ask us questions and they're totally leading the conversation and we just have these static responses and you don't get to know who we are. Whereas she was able to learn to take all of those communication skills and alignment within herself and start owning her interviews and start showing her value and was able to then use that to get placement where she wanted to go. And and so it's the little moments that you can reflect back on to carry yourself forward in the tough times. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. And thank Lisa. Yes, whoever Lisa. She may, whoever she may be. <laughs> whoever your real name is. <laughs> <laughs> so we do have a few minutes left. Want to make sure we dedicate all the time necessary. I'm so excited for you. I know how much time and work you put into this. And I think you stepped aside for some other things to really focus on it, to get it really dialed in. But you have a book that is about to come out called mm-hmm. Own Your Journey. I really hope yes. I'm messing that up. You own, got own it. You journey. nailed it. I'm really excited to learn more. Where did the book come from? What are we going to learn? So um, the book is Own Your Journey and it's uh, Daily Lessons in Self-Leadership. The book came from a space of when I pick up a thick book, I have a really hard time finishing it. Uh, I get distracted. So I have learned for me how I best process books. I love books that are small bite sizes and have great inspiration, but also have lessons that I can apply. Because when I just get inspiration, I'm like, all rah, rah. And then what? Like, what am I going to do with it? So um, I love to take notes in my books. I love to flag my books. I love to take and circle nuggets of actions that I'm going to apply to my life when I'm reading these books, because there's so many great books out there. So for me, I just, the book came to me, I knew this is what I had to do, like all the annoying projects in life, right? And it was this concept of self-leadership, but really self-leadership isn't something that we take a class on and then like check the box and we move on. It's not like 
taking a disc assessment and learning who you are and learning how to be flexible and then slowly interfacing that in. Self-leadership is a daily commitment to yourself and a daily commitment to the journey. And I really have gotten tired of seeing individuals who are exhausted and burned out because they're on somebody else's race. So I want to, if I can inspire one person with this book to really own their own journey, to decide to hike the trail they're meant to be on and not the beaten path that everybody else is on, then I feel like I will have done what I'm supposed to do in this world. Um, So it's designed with really thoughtful, either quotes or passages from people who are way smarter than me. So you get one for each day of the year. And then I have a passage that really breaks it down and talks about how that applies to one piece of the self-leadership journey. And of course, the book is broken into the four segments of awareness, mindset, presence, and action so that you can follow through this process and get a tiny, like one thing that you can do and focus on each day. So you can go through this book throughout the year as a slow journey to help you improve your self-leadership. And honestly, you could do it as a daily devotional year after year, because I'm not asking you to sit down and read chapters or 30, 40 pages a day. It's one, two pages a day. So it's very doable, very digestible. And um, it will be out in September, but you're right. You referenced that I did take some time. The book had been kind of eating at me saying, write me, write me for a long time. And I started writing And like all worthwhile projects, it was going to be much more intense than I originally slotted time for. And it was just getting chaotic with trying to do all the work and trying to write a book on the side. You know, you've written a book. You know, the process is exhausting. So this summer, I pulled a fast one and I decided to take a one month writing sabbatical, which was kind of twofold for me. It was the first month my kids um, were out on summer break. So I was able to write deeply and have time with my kids. And just, that was a whole, that's a whole nother conversation, but taking the sabbatical was an amazing experience. was able to really let me focus in on the book and it will be out, like I said, in September on Amazon. Hope that you check it out, that maybe one or two people buy it or share it with a friend. Well, I'm going to quadruple down on that (laughs) and say people should absolutely check that out because just think about the conversations that we've had today the cornerstones of self-leadership just the analogy of if if you have even one more analogy in your book as clear and powerful as gift wrapping for how somebody else likes what you want to say so and I, i love the way that you broke it down honestly i never would have thought of that i mean People are looking at my book going, yeah, Mike, you probably shouldn't have written such a thick book. It might have oh. been to read if we did it that way. But I, I love how you broke it down like that. So it literally is a journey. So you're talking about owning yep. your own journey. The book itself is a journey. It's set up to take somebody th- throughout throughout time, not like time infinity, but throughout the process right. of the year. I'm assuming each lesson or each affirmation or devotional moment builds on the previous Yes. I'm imagining that the questions that you ask and the tasks that are associated do as well. Yeah. And one of the things I love about that, because you're so absolutely right, we can't just, I wish we could, we can't just read <laughs> a book and all of a sudden all our problems are solved. Yeah. And 
I can't tell you how many times I've been motivated or inspired by somebody or something. And then it's like, you can see the energy dissipating over time. Like the further away I get from that inspiration, the harder it is to keep. It's human nature. Well, thank you for making me feel better. I appreciate yeah. that. That's called being human. <laughs> I'm the, also in that boat. <laughs> the way you've set it up. On one hand, not only is it set up for success, but equally important on the other hand, it's set up to take those excuses away. Yeah. It's too much. It's all one shot. There's nothing for me to stay with. There's no journey. It doesn't build. So you literally built something that not only has that compounding teaching value, it takes the excuses away. And then over that time for the people who commit to it, I'm imagining that they'll be able to quantify or verify the progress that they're making. They'll literally be able to see the difference from when they started the book to when they got to the middle of it to the end of the year at the end, if they choose to do the 360. If, if they're doing the work, they will see the difference. And I have to give a shout out. I don't know him personally. I wish I did. But James Clear, who wrote Atomic Habits, is he was such an influential voice in my professional development and my personal development, my own leadership journey and his concept of micro habits. And so that is where the design of this book came from is I'm just asking you for a micro habit because big habit shifts are impossible for us to keep up with. And so if you can read two pages a day and then there is opportunity for you to journal and reflect but you don't have to, even if you didn't do that piece of it, if you just read it, then you will make micro progress. And like you said, in six months to a year, you're going to look back and go, wow, I did that. Yeah. And the power of micro progress. Mm, so good. Yeah. And it's for me, I feel like it's so difficult to commit to because you don't see it for weeks. Exactly months, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden, one day you look in the mirror or you get feedback or you land a new customer or a promotion or whatever. And you're like, oh, wow, this all did add up. It all is different. It all is important, but it's, it's that compounding nature. Think about day one when you were self-employed compared to what you've built in your business now. Light years. And that doesn't happen overnight. You did that through showing up every day with a vision that you were dogging and it would pivot and shift and you would follow it. And now you've created so many wonderful opportunities to help people and guide people and engage with people. And you couldn't have done that if you didn't employ micro habits. Not a chance. There are so many more questions I'd love to ask, but I know you're super busy and I've already taken up an hour of your time that I'm so grateful for. I have no doubt that people are listening to this conversation and they want to know more. So for people who are interested in connecting with you, potentially interested in learning more about your cohorts, learning more about what you teach, whether it's working with horses, any and all of it, if people are looking to connect with Stacy, where do they need to go? Michael, thanks so much for asking about the book. I This has been a labor of love and I'm so excited. So Own Your Journey, The Daily Bites of Self-Leadership is coming out in September of 2023. It'll be on Amazon. So make sure you get over there, get your copy. If you are interested in a signed copy, shoot me a message, let me know. But I am thrilled to get this out into the world and share this process of owning your journey so that we can all take those baby steps and those micro habits to really own our path in life. Awesome. 
I will share all of those links in the show notes. Perfect. The episode is going to come out right around the time the book is published. So if we have the link for the book prior, I'll put it in the show notes. If not, I'll make sure we add it after. So we'll have all of that. So one click shopping, people can find you right away. Michael, this was one of the most fun podcast interviews I've ever done. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for the conversation. You are awesome. You're an inspiration. And I've just loved the exchange. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate all of your super kind words. I love this conversation. Let's find time to keep it going because I feel like there's for sure. much more that we can talk <laughs> about. So we'll have to do it again. Maybe after the book's been out for a little while, right. we'll, we'll have another conversation. But thank you so much. Thank you for all of the dedication that you have to helping others, to giving back, to pouring into other people. I know you said that your mission was to impact one person, but I'm pretty sure the number by now has has grown much beyond that. So keep up the tremendous work. Thank you so much for being here. And I'm excited to continue the conversation again down the road. Thanks, Michael. Stacy, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and share all of those great stories and great examples. Your leadership journey, the way you help other women through their leadership journey, self-leadership, such an important topic the disc profiles that you talked about, the horses fascinate me. Horses being a window to our soul and showing so much about ourselves. Fan that fantastic conversation, fascinating topic. I really appreciate it. Of course, congratulations on publishing Own Your Own Journey. I'm excited to get my own copy and go through it. I know my wife is as well. So congratulations. We'll put the link in the show notes for everybody so they can go to Amazon and get it directly when they have the opportunity. Thank you again for being here today. What a wonderful conversation. And of course, before we go, let's thank our sponsors one more time on the way out. Humantel, head over to humantel.com and enter the code INQUASIVE25 for 25% off all of their best-in-class online self-paced training to be able to learn and understand what people are likely thinking and feeling by identifying how their emotions are changing through their facial expressions and body language. Please check it out. It's worth the time and the investment, I promise. Also, head over to ei-magazine.com for Emotional Intelligence Magazine. Explore their ever-growing catalog of emotional intelligence resources, books, blogs, articles, podcasts, interviews, beyond. Check out Emotional Intelligence Magazine. And yes, please, especially for the professional interviewers, head over to the International Association of Interviewers and check out to see if that membership is right for you or your organization. From the member benefits to the peer-to-peer communication to the legal updates to the new content to the live events to the online events in person and beyond so much going on over there check it out and yeah while you're there check out the certified forensic interviewer designation and see if that accreditation is worth it for you at this or potentially even the next stage of your investigative career thank you all so much for taking the time to listen or watch today we really do appreciate it if you've got the time please do the things the algorithms ask us to do please subscribe to the show Please like the show. Please share the show. Tell your friends about it. Leave comments. Please share your critical feedback with us. Let us know. What do you like the best? Would you like to see or hear more of, less of, type of guests, types of conversations? We're constantly working to continue to evolve what we're doing here. And your feedback is a really important part of that process. So thank you very much for keeping us in the loop and helping us as we continue to grow along the way. So once again, Stacy, thank you for being here. All of our sponsors, thank you for making this possible. And thank you very much to all of you who took the time to join us today. Please stay safe. Take care of each other. We'll see you next time.